Why, hello there, nerds. I'm Ash. And I'm Nat. And you're listening to Crime Time Nerds, a sister podcast. Welcome back, Crime Time loving nerdlings. It's that time of the week where we all chat about some true crime cases. So in this week's episode, Ash and I are going to be talking about the tragic murder of a young woman named Nanine Grimes. So just as a reminder, this is actually our non-Vermont case week. So today's episode, we're looking into an older case that actually started back in 1980. And the entirety of this case spans a total of 20 six years. So this case is bananas. And the case actually took place in the town of Thornton, Colorado. So this was a case that Ash actually introduced me to. And just a heads up, I had a really hard time with this case. I don't know why it just kind of it got to me deeply. And so typically, I know I say that all the time. But it is a warning, you know, this one, I think it's the fact that she was so young. And there's a lot of factors in this one. But this one was rough. It was a rough one for me. And I mean, most of these honestly are are pretty rough, but this one especially got to me. Uh, it just really broke my heart. So, and it also kind of reminded me just the importance of treating one another like human beings and giving all of that respect to one another and to just never stop caring about other fellow humans just because it reminded me that a lot of our victims, you know, we talk about them and their names, but there are wonderful people that came behind that name. You know, these people belonged to family members. They had loved ones who cared about them. So it was just kind of something that made me realize, like, they are not just names and we all need to definitely remember that. You know, I just wanted to make the point that it's super important that we always, always remember these guys were innocent victims. So we want to treat these cases with as much respect as possible just for the future. So yeah, for sure. All of these victims we talk about had people who loved them, whether that was friends, family members, or even their communities. We just wanted to take a moment to remind our listeners that while we all enjoy talking about true crime, it is important for all of us to remember that these victims are still fellow humans. And we need to make sure that we all focus on that part of their stories. These were the people who mattered and still do. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important to mention that as both Ash and I, you know, we always say we really want to show that every victim mattered and the trash humans who took their lives are not to be glorified. You know, we're not highlighting them. We're highlighting the victims, which actually brings me to another point that I wanted to mention which is kind of a new thing that Ash and I wanted to do via our Instagram and through our social media outlets and our email, just because Ash and I, this case brought up a lot of stuff that Ash and I kind of wanted to highlight, which was just the concept of, of kindness. As we get into the case, you'll understand more, but it was just something that we thought would be a really great opportunity for us and our nerdling, nerdling family. And uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, so Nat and I are big believers in celebrating our small communities. We wanted to start a piece in our Instagram to help bring people together again. 
in whatever small way we can. So we thought it would be a great way to show that our nerdling family is here to help one another out in this crazy, crazy world that's happening right now. Nat and I came up with the idea of utilizing our platform, however small and growing it is, to try and get everyone to participate in acts of kindness within their small communities. We want all of our listeners who are either on Instagram, if so, hit us up, Crime Time Nerds. <laughs> or if you are on the gram, you can still participate via submitting your images and stories to our crimetimenerds at gmail.com email. Just put in the subject line, listener submission, acts of kindness, and send us your awesome acts of kindness to help folks in your community out. I know I, for one, am super pumped about this idea. Everything we read lately is just so dark and it's negative and it's heartbreaking. And I'm not even talking about the, the crime cases. You know, that's the, the crazy part about this. This is just like everyday news. So Ash and I, we don't want to add to that noise. We're not getting into any of that stuff. We just really wanted to take this opportunity to kind of use our platform for to do some good. And instead of listening to all the, the bad stuff, we want to help other wonderful humans out. All of us need help right now. And you know, we got to take care of each other. It's, it's just what we do. So if you know of families in need of some extra help out, you know, just it's your community, set up a community drive for them or a food drive or maybe get a bunch of folks to donate clothes, things like that. You know, maybe in your neighborhood, you have an elderly neighbor who maybe is a little high risk and needs a little extra help going grocery shopping. So take the time to do that. There are so many ways that you and us, you know, all of us can give back right now. There are options that are socially distant, and yet you're still doing good within your communities. There isn't an act of kindness that's too small. Seriously, there just isn't. Because the person that you do that for, whether it's holding open a door or, you know, just saying thank you, that person totally appreciates it. So acts of kindness, guys, focus, definitely take a look at those. Yeah, we really, really want to stress that. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in this crazy world. There's so much going on right now. There's so many different, so many different things. I can't even get into all of them right now. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, something that I am going to try to do is I normally go on walks a couple mm -hmm. times a week. And what I've been noticing is there's trash all over the place. And in that moment when I'm on my walk and there's a pandemic, so I'm not really going to want to pick up a can with my bare hands. So I'm going to keep that in mind. And next time I go on my walk, I'm going to bring some gloves, some trash can or some garbage bags. And then I'm going to keep that in mind. So when I go, I can start picking up trash. Not only does it help the environment, it helps those little bitty animals that can get trapped. And like you see all those videos of the animals getting their hand, their heads stuck in cans. Kills me. Kills I know. Me. It's awful. And also another thing you can do is winter's coming up. You can donate coats to your local homeless shelter. There's a lot, a lot of ways. And even if it's just asking the grocery clerk how their day's going, I mean, they're working in a pandemic. They have to deal with people that don't want to wear masks, people that are fighting for wearing masks, like every different side of this they're getting there's affected. no win <laughs> yeah there's literally no win so just something as simple as taking the five seconds out of your day to ask the grocery store clerk the barista like what have you how their day's going give them a smile like I don't know tell them a joke I mean just that little tiny bit can help someone so much and it pays it forward because if you put that person in a good mood then maybe they'll put the next person in a good mood you never know exactly yeah and that was kind of 
kind of our thoughts behind this. I know myself, or I know personally what I'm, I'm planning on doing is, you know, I'm going to knit some hats. I have these crochet or these knitting looms and I'm going to knit up a bunch of hats. You can do them in a couple hours and I'm just going to see if any, I know it's a little hard right now with the pandemic, but I'm going to see if there's some folks in need right now. There are lots of kids who are doing hybrid up here, schools who might need hats and parents maybe have gotten laid off or what have you. So, or there's, you know, we have a homeless community that desperately needs these types of goods or goods because it gets below freezing in Vermont. So that's kind of one thing I'm going to focus on over the next few months as we're leading into winter. I'm going to try and get together, get a bunch of these together to donate. And then the other big thing I've been wanting to do, or I've been working on all summer long actually has been, I've been quietly ordering kids books throughout the summer and I'm just creating a box that I'm going to donate to an organization that sends kids books overseas to Africa for education materials. And I'll actually post the link onto Instagram. It's to a local consultant that I use who deals with kids books and has some great recommendations. And she pointed me in the direction of this foundation. Um, so I'll put all of that information in, in a, a post on our Instagram for you guys, if you're interested as well. It's a great way to give back and it is a wonderfully socially distant option as well for you. Yeah, that is so great, Nat. You're going to have to let me know when you do that. I will. <laughs> I might send over some some cash for you to buy some books for me and donate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, nerdlings. There are so many people who need help right now or just one small moment of kindness. So let's show the world how our family of Crime Time nerdlings gives back. Keep an eye out on our website and our Instagram where we will post some ideas for folks on acts of kindness you can do in your local community or not so local communities to help take care of our fellow humans. I love it. We are going to have this be just an ongoing thing. So there's no time limit on it, guys. That's the best part. And Ash and I are going to share our own acts of kindness, some of the ones we've mentioned, maybe some new ones that we come up with. We're going to be sharing those on the Instagrams and also alongside you guys on the website. So that way you guys can actually see what's being done. Once you guys start posting, we'll also be putting these up on the website too for you guys. So, you know, we're a family and this is kind of how we help each other out. And so with that, the thing I'll say is just remember to be kind to one another and above all, respectful because it is a crazy tumultuous time. Let's not add to the noise. So that's my two cents. I totally agree. And with that, nerdlings, it's time to leave the light and head on down into the dark road with us as we examine the murder of 15-year-old Nanine Grimes. This is the part that I always, always dread. <laughs> you know, I'll fully admit this case really, really affected me. So I am just going to throw out a disclaimer for, for our listeners. This murder did occur to a minor. It's a super brutal crime. So just heads up, if any of this is going to trigger you in any form of way, we completely understand that this may not be an episode for you and we respect that and we still love you. So, you know, you can catch us on a lesser, less graphic episode. We love that too. So just a little reminder and a heads up before we get going on that dark, dark drive. This one's a rough one, guys. So. All right. So it's time to venture forth and examine the awful murder of Nanine Grimes. Our case begins on September 5th, 1980, 
Nadine was a 15-year-old girl from Thornton, Colorado. Thornton was described as a quiet neighborhood, like your typical run-of-the-mill neighborhood in Colorado back in 1980, where Nadine and her older sister Deanna grew up. Deanna described her younger sister as a flower, and her nickname was Nini. Deanna and Nadine were only one year apart and were very close to one another. Ah, this is literally everything I wanted when I was younger. I wanted a a sister (laughs) because I had two older brothers. So this just really melts my heart. I completely understand. I have a sister. I have a younger sister, but she is considerably younger than me. So when I was super young, I was outnumbered by a house full of boys. And all I wanted was a sister who would just kind of hang out with me and do girl things. So I completely understand. And I love the fact that she thought of her sister as a flower. I don't I don't think I've ever heard that used as a descriptor for anyone. And it's really sweet. Yeah, I think that's the first time I've ever heard someone describe someone as a flower. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, I think we should use it from here on out. Yeah, it's so heartwarming. Mm-hmm. So Nanine was said to have aspired to be a model and she was a natural beauty. And if you folks look up a picture of Nanine, you will instantly see that. She just flourished. You could see she was a natural beauty. Yeah, she really was. She was beautiful. Nanine was naturally kind and overall just a good kid and a kind soul. She was known as the quiet one and was thought of as always helpful. On September 5th, 1980, Nanine Grimes was left home alone while her mom went out to spend some time with her then boyfriend and his family. And disclaimer, this happened all the time, especially in the 80s. I mean, I'm sure you can attest to that, Nat. Oh, definitely. I, I, as a child of the 80s and early 90s, I was babysitting my my bro- youngest brother at like 11, 12. I was do- babysitting neighborhood kids. A lot of us te- tween girls were. So it was really not unusual. 15, I mean, that's that was actually pretty old for that, to be on her own for that time frame. Yeah, definitely. And actually, it was said that Nanine's mom rarely ever left the girls alone. But Nanine was 15. And this was one time she did seeing as Nanine was just, you know, home working on homework. Yeah, I don't blame her. Nanine's mom, Gwen, had spent the day sewing Nanine a new dress as her kids often chose to have her make their clothes rather than buying them as they liked hers better, which is awesome. That is amazing. How appreciative is, is that? Like that their mom could have a skill and that they they loved it. Yeah, exactly. You don't get that a lot. No. Nanine was at home doing a science project on the phone with a friend. And during her phone call with her friend, she actually hears a noise and goes to check it out. And unfortunately, this is the last time anyone speaks to Nanine Grimes. Her sister, Deanna, who had been at work at the time, comes home and notices that the front door is slightly open and she can hear Nanine's radio blaring as it's playing the same song that Deanna actually was listening to as she was driving her car. Deanna goes inside, more annoyed with her younger sister at the moment than anything else. I mean, we've all been there. Yeah. We, we just don't assume the worst, you know? We just think they're being typical younger siblings. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I would not have assumed anything was wrong at her age at all. Deanna immediately notices that the living room is completely disarray, and she also begins to notice a strange smell as she's making her way towards her room. 
Deanna walks down the hallway and opens the door to her room. She had a heavy, heavy feeling the whole time she was walking down the hallway. And like we always say, intuition. Seriously, nerdlings, it is a thing. Oh, for sure. Trust your gut, guys. Trust your gut. When Deanna walks into her room, she sees something out of a complete nightmare. She immediately sees a small body lying on her waterbed covered in blood. It's so bad she doesn't even register that this body belongs to her little 15-year-old sister. That is until she realizes the body is wearing her sister's Grateful Dead t-shirt. It's then that she processes that this is her baby sister. Ugh. Just ugh. I know. I don't even want to know what that feeling was like. I feel Mm -hmm. like... Nope. That feeling is probably the same as you being on a roller coaster and not being want to being on that roller coaster. Yeah, like you're just like pit of your stomach, like ugh, and your tummy just completely drops. I ugh, ugh. that poor ugh. girl, poor girl. Nanine had been brutally stabbed upwards of eighty six times. Insane. Ah, uh, Deanna begins screaming and runs out the door over to the neighbor's house. Deanna is quoted as having told the neighbors that I'm not sure, but I think there's somebody dead in my room, unquote. Deanna was only 16 years old. And for all accounts and purposes, it honestly sounds like she was just in shock, which totally understandable. You can never judge somebody on how they are in that situation because that's just very unfair. I totally agree with you there. You just can't. People react so differently. I... Hope I'm never in that situation. Have no idea how I would react. So exactly. You just never know. So the neighbors immediately call 911 after having Deanna frantically come to their house. And when the police arrive on the scene, they immediately see that the living room is in disarray and they see blood on the kitchen floor and even blood on the refrigerator. The blood trails lead down the hallway and even into the bathroom where the police find a lot of blood in the bathroom sink. Most of the blood is on the fixtures of the sink, so it became very obvious that the killer had been trying to wash the blood off of their body. Police are able to obtain a partial fingerprint from the bathroom sink, as well as blood evidence that looked to be from the killer. So it became clear that the murderer was injured by Nadine in the attack, which uh, in your last fight, you go, girl. That is, that's awesome. Doing whatever you can. Yep. Fight hard, man. Fight hard. When police came into Deanna's room, they see Nanine Grimes laying submerged in three to five inches of water due to the bed having been a waterbed. The waterbed had been punctured multiple times with the murder weapon. Nanine's Grateful Dead t-shirt had been cut open from the top down, exposing her chest. And the killer had actually placed a white handkerchief over the top of her chest. And it is speculated that this murder may have been sexually motivated. And perhaps after the attack, the murderer kind of felt a guilt about that and decided to cover up the wounds with a handkerchief. Mm. Oh, that's awful. That's just awful. Blood splatter was found on a spigot outside, and it was also found leading outside over towards a six foot tall fence. And this is where the blood trail goes cold as it ends not far away behind the back of a business. Police immediately begin looking for potential suspects, and the autopsy report showed that Nanine was stabbed over 86 times and she had fought hard as her body had defensive wounds specifically on her side and her back. Whew, that's, yeah, that's rough. Yeah, that is, 
that is something out of a horror movie. Yeah, it honestly is. No, I want to say no child, but no human should ever, ever have to go through that. That is excessive to beyond belief, just excessive. It's unbelievable that anyone would even want to kill this 15-year-old girl. And the fact that she was so brutally murdered just makes no sense. Like I said, 86 stab wounds. I mean, what on earth is going on? The amount of rage this person felt towards a 15-year-old girl is nuts. What's even more strange is just that the killer would be so brutal and then take the time to cover Nanine's chest with a handkerchief, which, I don't know, to me, it just seems like they either were in a complete, like something set them off and they just went into a complete rage and then attacked her, stabbed her 86 times because they're only seeing red at that point because they're crazy. And then afterwards had that like feeling of remorse and was like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't plan on killing her or stabbing her 86 times. None of that makes it okay, but it's just, and I don't know. I just, I, I, I wonder if maybe the handkerchief placement, some kind of remorse, but uh, I don't know. I don't know on that one, but so what happens is, is that with the knowledge of the crime, police are able to kind of start to begin the process of looking for potential suspects. Police asked Deanna if anyone had issues with Nanine, as the two were very close and they happened to share the same friend group. Deanna instantly thinks of one person who stood out to her right from the start as a potential suspect. That person happened to be her mother's boyfriend, John Hastings. John is described as being a person who drank too much and he was known to have a bad temper. Neither Nini nor Deanna were were fans of him. It was pretty much known that they didn't get along. Nini specifically had a lot of issues with John. She would often go and run away and hide in her room anytime he was over. And a lot of this was because he once bought their mom a necklace that he referred to as a quote unquote bitch necklace, which obviously the girls found that super, super offensive. Personally, that's amazingly offensive, but that's a different story. Yeah. And authorities decide to bring John in for questioning and when they do, he readily admits to not getting along with the girls, but he does state emphatically that he would never lay a hand on them. John also had an alibi for the night of Nanine's murder, as both he and Gwen, the girl's mom, were at his parents for dinner that night when Nanine was brutally, brutally murdered. Police were able to easily confirm his alibi and John was completely cleared of all all charges. I just want to make that clear. He was not a suspect going forward. He was cleared. After John's alibi clears him, police begin to dig a little deeper just to see if there's anyone else who maybe stands out as a potential suspect. In investigating some of the suspects, police were drawn towards one other potential suspect who was a man by the name of Brian Shutter. Now, Brian was a repairman who had been hired to fix the Grimes washing machine. He was a very pleasant man, and Brian had been over at the Grimes house not too long before the night of Nanine's murder. It also happened that Brian took a very strong liking to Nanine. 
While he was there working on the Grimes washing machine, Brian started talking to Nanine. And here's where I've heard some conflicts on this. So I heard that uh, one of the things I researched was that Brian actually was speaking to Nanine about going to see the Denver Broncos play. And I've also heard that Brian and Nanine were talking about going about a music concert. So I've heard it both ways. So I just wanted to put it out there. What came of the conversation basically was that Brian actually gave Nanine 20 bucks. Keep in mind, this is 1980. So $20, that's a lot of money to give a kid. And especially a kid that he really didn't know outside of being an acquaintance. And he gave her this so that she could go purchase tickets for either, like I said, that concert or a game. Kind of doesn't really matter which it was, but I just wanted to put it out there. Police later were able to search Brian's car and they found a hunting knife that was hidden under one of his seats. The knife was sent to the lab uh, just to test it for blood and the knife came back completely clean of human blood. So Brian also of note had no visible injuries on his hand or anywhere on his body that was easily seen by the police. And the police had all of that blood evidence from the suspect from from the bathroom. So they knew that the killer had to have some kind of, of wounds on him from where Nanine had fought so hard. And so just like John, the police were actually able to clear Brian as he also had an alibi and that alibi did check out. So the search for Nanine's killer kind of begins to stagnate out. Leads would come in and they would just dry up and eventually years and even decades begin to pass by and still, after all of that time, no one was ever arrested for the murder of 15-year-old Nanine Grimes. That is until almost 25 years later, when DNA evidence would change everything. After nearly 25 years, police are actually able to finally apprehend a suspect for the murder of Nanine Grimes and put him in custody. And that man's name was Troy Brownlow. So what happened here is that police never, ever gave up on finding Nanine's killer. What they did was every time the case needed to be handed off, they'd do a handoff to the next detective to take it on. So they kept this case alive for 25 years. And this allowed for science to eventually catch up with the evidence that the police had obtained from the crime scene. So back in 2004, blood samples from the crime scene from the 80s were sent to CBI, which is Colorado Bureau of Investigations, to be checked against DNA in the CODIS database. National Combined DNA Index System is what that stands for. Investigators got lucky and had a match come through for a man by the name of Troy Brownlow, who lived in Arizona and had recently been released from prison. Police look back through the case and note that this man, Troy Brownlow, his name never came up up until that CODIS ding uh, in 2004. Police are able to issue a warrant for the arrest of Troy Brownlow. And before this CODIS breakthrough, Troy Brownlow wasn't even on their radar. He was a name they had never heard of. Police begin to dig deeper. And what they learn is that Troy had been in and out of prison for assault, theft, and for firing a gun at his ex-girlfriend. Troy also happened to be a YMCA official and had worked with the YMCA since 1986. The idea that this horrific murderer 
of Nanine Grimes, who was a 15-year-old girl, is working with children kills me. This is so disgusting. Oh, I can't. This one kills me. I agree. That is, that's terrifying. He literally had a pick of Mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah, literally. A 15-year-old girl he murdered. And he has, he's just walking among kids. So Troy was also from the same town as the Grimes. And he happened to actually have been an acquaintance of both the girls. When Troy was brought in, the police asked him if he knew the reason for why they brought him in. And while he wasn't very communicative with the police, he only pretty much would speak to a reporter while he was awaiting trial. He did state that he should have come forward with information 25 years ago. Troy was said to have claimed that he was in the house that night, but not for the reason police thought he was. So basically he's saying, I wasn't there to kill her. Troy said that he didn't stab Nanine. He was completely innocent on it, but he did happen to be there when they were both brutally attacked by some unknown assailant. According to Troy, the man had a knife and he was cut in the scuffle. Troy states that he fled the Grimes home during this attack and was only able to save himself and not Nanine. Yeah. So he's going with the fugitive defense here, it seems. Wasn't him. It was a man in, you know, hiding in the shadows in the house. The trial happened in June of 2006, where prosecutors push home the evidence at trial that happened to link Troy Brownlow with the brutal murder of Nanine Grimes. It is thought that what actually happened that night is that after Deanna left for work, Troy went over to the Grimes' home. When he arrived, he found Nanine there, and seeing as she had known him, and he'd been at her house previously, it didn't cause any alarm bells for her. You know, he wasn't a stranger. He wasn't someone she didn't know. He was Deanna's friend. He was, you know, acquaintance. He was someone the girls, they he was a schoolmate. They knew him. So... I totally understand why Nanine would have opened the door. She didn't think twice, which that fits because the Grimes home didn't have any signs of anyone breaking and entering. So it makes sense that she would have opened the door to someone she knew. It was actually thought that Troy happened to be interested in Deanna and he was going over to the house that night in order to talk to her about his feelings for her. When he got there, he found Nanine there alone And it's thought that maybe he made an unwanted advance on Nanine, in which she rejected this advance, obviously, and he became angry and attacked and killed her in his rage because this man is a monster. After all evidence is presented at the trial, the jury deliberates and they reach a verdict in less than three hours. I'm kind of with them on this one. Troy Brownlow was found guilty of murder and he was finally sentenced to serve 20 years to life. After nearly 26 years, the remaining Grimes family, so Deanna and Gwen, are able to finally get justice for the murder of their beloved Nanine. Man, that was a rough one. And I actually think we forgot to mention, I just remembered now, that the police actually went to the school that Nanine and Deanna and Troy all attended. And they actually had been watching the students and I'm pretty sure they probably would have notified the teachers as well. Right. But Troy 
went completely under the radar. I mean, the police were specifically looking for students with hand injuries, forearm injuries, even face injuries. Like he must've just been one of those kids that either got away with things or like was a class clown or even just like completely under the right like quiet yeah i just that just blows my mind that he completely got away with this like he definitely had wounds on some part of his body you know it's kind of funny that you say that one of the things that police actually noticed when they arrested him was that troy had a really really old cut or scar on his hand which looked to it was kind of jagged so it looked like it came from a knife you know there's a very definitive scar from from sharp things and it made sense that he would have this scar if he was Nanine's murderer as we all know Nanine fought like a wildcat to survive this or tried to survive and you know unfortunately she didn't but she definitely did some damage to Troy or the murderer but in this case I'm I personally think it's Troy and it seems like Troy honestly had a super serious history of assault, rage issues, you know, just from the rap sheet alone, it seems like this guy, this guy was known, known to kind of go ballistic. One other thing that's super interesting is that he was actually arrested in Arizona. And the person that happened to be living in Arizona at that time was Deanna which is so scary, so scary. So basically to me, it seems like he was maybe stalking Deanna even after Nanine's murder. And we all know that it's thought that he was going to the house in the first place to talk to Deanna. And even after he murders her little sister, it's uh, uh. And it's just, it's mind blowing. And it's amazing that through all of this, DNA evidence was the one thing that was able to solve this murder, even after almost 25 years. This this case just, whew, it got me big time, big time. My heart hurts for the Grimes family, just hurts. And for Nanine, who never got to be a grown up, she only, you know, forever stopped, stopped at 15 years old. No one should ever go through this. No child, no adults, no family members. No one should ever have to go through this. And Troy Brownlow is a monster, straight up. Definitely. And while Troy being arrested does not bring Nadine Grimes back, at least his incarceration can give some peace and closure to Deanna and Gwen Grimes. They waited 26 years to finally get justice for their Nini. As always, our hearts are with them and their family. We should all strive to be kind, just like Nanine Grimes was. And so we conclude the murder of Nanine Grimes. Just remember to pay it forward, nerdlings, and do some acts of kindness in Nanine's memory, as well as to better the world. Until next time, you crime-loving nerdlings, thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share, subscribe, and leave a review over on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. You can also check out our social media on Instagram at crimetimenerds and send us an email at crimetimenerds at gmail.com or visit our website at crimetimenerds.com. <laughs> <laughs>